Hello everyone and in today's episode I'm joined with Jess and Jess has Crohn's disease and she's going to be sharing her, her journey with Crohn's disease so far so thank you Jess for joining me today. You're welcome, I'm glad to be yeah. here. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting hearing about your whole journey. Yeah, it's been, it's yeah. been quite a whirlwind these last five years I must admit. Yeah. So if you just like want to start, it's like maybe when you, you got diagnosed with Crohn's? Right, so I I started showing symptoms late 2014, like a bit of weight loss. The doctors noticed my blood pressure was quite low, but they decided, oh, you know, it's probably, you know, natural because you're obviously underweight. Mm-hmm. Um, I started getting more and more pain and bloating, but obviously I just, I didn't think anything was wrong because, you know, that, that was, seemed normal to me at the time. But as as time went on, I reached, I think it was the start of March 2015, and I got really, really poorly. I, I remember it specifically because I think it was the day before the new rotor at work got put up, and I had a lot of hours that week, uh-huh. and I even said to my manager, like, I'm not going to be able to do that, like, that is too much, and... Um, the next day I woke up with diarrhea so obviously that you know that was the start of that and you know I called in sick to work and just said oh you know I'm having some tummy issues I really can't come into work and I thought you know after a day or two they'd subside but they didn't they just got worse and I mean to the point where I was going 25 times a day yeah not nice no not nice like I could barely eat I could barely drink I think one of the only things I could actually eat was pizza but it wouldn't Uh stay down (laughs) (laughs) so you know that that was kind of a good thing at least I could eat pizza but you know it was it was obviously really horrible and it got to a point after about 10 days because obviously I was losing lots of weight fast at that point I wasn't really keeping track of it but I went to the doctors and you know I said to them please I need help like you know I'm getting really poorly I can't eat I can't drink I can't sleep like I'm in so much pain I really need help and my GP bless his heart he was brilliant but he was very new so you know he he didn't have much of a knowledge about IBD or anything like that, which, you know, isn't his fault at Mm. all because, you know, a GP is there Mm. for everything and, you Mm. know, it's, it's hard for them. And it got to a point where I was going in every single day because I just, I couldn't cope with the pain. Even when he gave me painkillers, they weren't helping. They were just making me sleepy. I think it was codeine he gave me at first and it was literally I was taking it and just passing out on the sofa like I was obviously still in a lot of pain but I was so weak it was making me so tired and um, so after I think it was about two weeks of going into the doctors every day he thought oh maybe it's still your gallbladder and obviously some of the symptoms did match up like obviously the pain the diarrhea the vomiting so you know, I thought, you know, that, you know, that seems fair. What do we do now? And he said, oh, you know, I'll refer you for an ultrasound. And he tried to call them to book me an emergency one. And they expected me to wait three weeks. And I just looked at him and said, I will be dead by then. Yeah. Yeah. And he thought I was exaggerating. I was like, I can feel the weight coming off me. Like, it, it was horrible. Like, I would look at my legs and I could get one hand around them. Like, it was horrible and he then decided to weigh me and I was five stone ten so you know very very underweight very very underweight yeah Uh, so obviously I was really upset about getting in the news about the ultrasound I left the doctors in tears like I'd had many times before because obviously you know I was crying for help and I just wasn't getting it in the right way Again, not his fault, but, you know, one of those things. So after a couple more appointments, you know, begging for help, (laughs) I actually got to see a different doctor because my doctor wasn't available. And he actually had a knowledge of IBD. And he took one look at me and he weighed me again. And I'd reached five stone two. This was on the 23rd of March, 2015. Okay. So... 
five stone two I literally you know I was pale I, I couldn't stand straight like it, it was unbearable and um he turned around and said to me, I think you have IBD. I think you have Crohn's disease potentially because obviously my symptoms matched that a bit more than ulcerative colitis. Yeah. Um, and he said, cause it's so late in the day now, cause it was an evening. He said, I'm going to call the hospital first thing in the morning and you know, we're going to take it from there. And literally that next morning, one minute past nine, I got a phone call from him saying they want to admit you this afternoon and I, I cried because I was so happy because I, you know, I'm finally getting the help. Yeah. Yeah. So because I'd never stayed in hospital before, I decided I wanted to go to the shops before that, to, you know, buy some things to make myself comfortable. Yeah. Uh, so I went ahead and did that at the time. I wouldn't say I was like a heavy smoker, but, you know, I did, mm. you know, smoke. I was, uh, yeah. I worked in food, which could, can be quite yeah. stressful. So mm smoking was kind of my release and I remember I I got back from obviously getting the shop in I poured myself a a glass of orange squash and I went out for a cigarette and I just literally sat down took a sip of my drink I hadn't even lit up yet and I threw up all over the balcony and at that point I was literally like right okay I'm gonna get that stuff together and go now I know they said this afternoon but I cannot wait like I can't even hold down squash so I got my stuff and went and luckily I got there about lunchtime. So they were happy to admit me because obviously they said the afternoon and I got there and straight away they got me into a side room because obviously given the nature of my symptoms, they couldn't guarantee there was no bug involved either. Mm. So they put me in this side room in the acute medical unit is where the GPs send most patients and, um, the first test they gave me, it wasn't a very nice one. It was a uh, finger up the bottom. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I know how that feels like. <laughs> what a nice start to my two-week admission. So, you know, that that was very, very painful because obviously mm. I had active disease there too. So yeah. very unpleasant. And um, they got me on a few infusions, you know, like, you know, yeah. to boost me up like vitamins and stuff like that they brought a dietitian in to see me because at that point they obviously you know couldn't completely rule out things like anorexia yeah because it's not unheard of and sadly that you know some of them do take medications that make them go to the toilet which you know I understand that um obviously I saw a psychiatrist too but you know they ruled that you know I was I was fine in that sense. They decided to prescribe me some forceps. Um, and don't get me wrong, I found a flavor I like now, but that was a lot of trial and error and it was very hard to drink them. And I didn't eat anything that first day I was in. They kept offering, but I said, no, I can't, I really can't. Um, Then the next day they told me I was going to go for a flexible sigmoidoscopy. Okay. So um, obviously I was a bit nervous for that because, you know, they told me what it involved. I was a bit like, whoa, okay. Like, but you know, if, if, if it was my way to obviously get diagnosed, so I knew it had to be done and uh, they gave me the enema in preparation and, uh, Shortly after having that, I went up. They gave me, um, they gave me sedation because I was in so much pain and I was so anxious, like I couldn't stop shaking. So obviously, it was the safest course of action. And they gave me such strong pain relief. I wasn't in pain for hours after, like it was bliss. Like the first time I hadn't been in pain in so long. Um, completely slept through the procedure don't remember waking up in recovery I just remember waking up back in the room and I was like whoa like did all this actually happen like yeah yeah um and not long after that a uh, gastro doctor came in and said yeah you've got Crohn's disease 
she gave me like this leaflet to read through with a lot of information like you know it was a lot of good yeah. information but it was all very overwhelming like yeah. reading about how there's like a five, I think it's five percent chance that you know if you have kids they might have it too and yeah. you know thinking about that stuff as an 18 year old I was a bit like oh my gosh like how how can I process this I um I ended up seeing another psychiatrist while I was in the process of being diagnosed like after being diagnosed because mm. I, I found it a lot to deal with because you know yeah. it really derailed me it was a lot um and he said to me you know it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if you know this gives you a bit of depression because you know this yeah. this is a hard thing to come to terms mm. with and it did cause me a bit of depression but I found in the future once my life normalized a bit you know I was happy again it was just obviously getting through what I was going through. Um, so after I'd obviously got the official diagnosis, they started me on steroids, IV. Mm. Oh, lovely stuff. Yeah, yeah, we love those steroids. <laughs> oh, horrible. Yeah. Yeah. But they gave me that for, I think it was two or three days. And then they mm. took me off because obviously day by day they were coming in and talking to me about, you know, we're running bloods, we're doing this. Cause obviously we're going to try and find what treatment we think is best for you. And then they took me off steroids and I had a couple of days where my symptoms got really, really bad again, because obviously I was on no treatment at all, which, you know, that's mm. not a surprise, but I didn't quite understand like because yeah. it you know it just at that point I didn't know a lot of medical lingo like I was just there yeah. like why, yeah. why am I worse it's, yeah, like, it's, it's all new like all, all, all these new things and this like it's all like got to process it all and you've got to like take time yeah so yeah. they um they started me on azathioprine first um and that you know my blood work was showing that it was working fine because obviously I was on that a couple of days before the infliximab then I was given the okay to start infliximab I had my first infusion on the 1st of April 2015 yeah. so a week mm. after I'd been admitted um and after a couple of days like I was feeling a lot better like yeah. it had definitely helped it was really quick like, I was amazed how quick yeah. it was and um you know things didn't obviously return back to normal for me straight away but you know I I was finally you know feeling able to get out of bed and walk around I was eating more it was definitely making all the difference I was drinking my Fortisips um I um I saw the dietitian again because obviously she wanted to talk me through the diet side of things because obviously you know what triggers and and stuff like that because obviously there's the common triggers whereas I'm one of the unlucky ones whose triggers aren't the common ones <laughs> yeah. so but you know that's that that's the way it is for me unfortunately yeah. um yeah. but yeah obviously I had visits off IBD nurses throughout I had daily blood tests to make sure you know everything was working okay um, I was in that year over Easter so that that was quite difficult to you know be in when I should be you know home um, but you know if it is what it is yeah. I um, I got discharged from hospital on the 8th of April and I had to take a month of recovery um, because obviously, you know, they weren't satisfied with my weight or anything like that. They said, you know, you need to get physically better, although your treatment's working, you know, you need to be in a position to be able to look after yourself. And I thought, you know, that's fair enough. As much as it was hard yeah. to be off work, because obviously I, I enjoyed working. It was definitely my release. Um, you know, I had to do what was best for me. And after a month of recovering, I'd gained... I think it was a stone in the end like oh, I'd, I'd done really well yeah, um that's good I went back and you know was loving life it was great um and then about two months after that I decided to leave my job because I just where well, I'd had so much to deal with in those past few months like even though I had the month to recover I just you know I needed to take some time but I'd, I already had some savings and stuff like that. So, you know, I made sure I was in a comfortable position before. 
and I decided to leave my job. Um, I ended up getting a uh, new job in the end quite quickly because yeah. I found I found myself bored, which sounds insane because obviously yeah. mentally I needed the <laughs> break, but I, I was so bored. So I got a new job that was a lot shorter hours. It was a bit more of a commute, but it was nice. Um, but then my health uh, actually started to deteriorate again, like out of the blue. Oh. All of a sudden I was getting pain again, but this time it was the opposite. It was constipation. So... Oh. I thought, you know, that's that's really random. I ended up getting readmitted into hospital because of the pain. And as it turned out, azathioprine, as much as it worked well, it worked almost too well. Yeah. And it was causing more harm than good. So after four days in hospital, they, they took me off it and put me on mecaptopurin instead, which has worked wonders. I'm still on it now. Um but that that the only downside with mecaptopurin for me is I do find it makes me feel quite sick. Yeah, yeah. It, like, yeah. Like, like with like the infliximab, like um, how, how long would would you on that for? I was on it until this year. I I came off it officially. I was discharged mm. from the infusion service in June after finding mm. out I developed antibodies. So quite a while, you was on quite a while. Yeah, I was on it for over five years. Mm. Um, but yeah, so obviously mecaptopurin worked well with the infliximab still. Obviously, you know, I did my, you know, loading doses and all that business. Um, and, you know, steady eight weekly. I, I was really, really fortunate because um, I got to have both my children while on infliximab, while yeah. in although I did have a hiccup during my son's pregnancy and I was put on steroids, I maintained, maintained remission throughout both of them. It was just because during my first pregnancy, they said to me, you've got to stop infliximab at 28 weeks. So I had my last infusion at 27 weeks. And then obviously I had to go 13 weeks until I gave birth and then obviously a couple of weeks recovery and then have it. And obviously that was too long. So I started getting symptomatic towards the end of my pregnancy. But as soon as I had the infusion again, I was absolutely fine, but they still gave me the whole once over the good old colonoscopy, the MRI scan. <laughs> yeah. Then not nice. Not nice. No, not nice. But again, it was necessary. Luckily yeah. again, I got to maintain remission during my second pregnancy, I had no issues with Crohn's disease at all, which I'm really, really happy about. Um, yeah, that's good. As yeah. I, I was quite unfortunate with my pregnancies. I had a condition called SPD, which is to do with your bones loosening up, ready for delivery. Um, but I had it quite severely to the point where it was difficult walking. So, yeah, so that... That was a shame, but you know, it's, it's one of those yeah. things. Yes, yes. Like, like, like speaking of walking, um, actually, um, it was um last year actually, um, I was in uh, all of a sudden, um, because of, like, I I have like joint pains. I I've always had joint pains and like fatigue as well, and all of a sudden, um, I couldn't walk for like um all my bones stopped working for, for and I, I I was admitted into the the hospital, and I was I was in there for a lot maybe over a week and then I was, I was through that week um like of course if you can't walk you you get these injections like you can have injections in the belly to like make your blood flow where oh yeah, uh, yeah. the good old yeah. collexane injections yeah. so i can self-administer yeah. them yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I i i i was saying um i don't really want them because at the time that um, my Crohn's wasn't completely i wasn't completely in remission so i didn't want that maybe like to trigger something off so I I ended up like going for walks up and down, but for, for throughout the whole entire time, didn't re didn't even figure out what what it was, what caused me like stop walking, like couldn't walk. It was all a weird process. That's insane. Like yeah. I've I've been quite fortunate on the arthritis side. I must admit, although I get uh, quite achy hips, which may you know be the start of something. Uh, I, it's not caused me too much of a problem but one thing I do have an issue with is psoriasis oh. 
I was an absolute mess. I had to get up at like five o'clock in the morning to drink the drinks mm. and they were very hard to drink. It was like a very sweet lemon lucasade, like, oh, it was, but it was syrupy. Hmm. And that, that, that was just nasty to me. I managed to finish one. They'd given me two, but I, I couldn't drink it. But they said yeah. to me, just drink as much as you can. I got to the hospital at, I think it was about half six. And I was the, I was the first admission. I was the first surgery. Um, so I got there straight away. They've given me a gown. They've given me um, all the consent forms, which were really overwhelming. I had to sign quite a few because obviously with bowel surgery comes a risk of obviously needing a stoma. So I signed about three or four consent forms and they were very in-depth. Um, and I, I was an absolute mess. I was shaking. I kept crying because, you know, it's a scary thing. Yeah, it's, it is. Yeah. And uh, it what happened was obviously they, you know, they took my stuff and they said, you know, we're ready for you now after like because I, I was probably in that room about 20 minutes. And in that time, done the consent forms, done my gown, done my cannula, had blood tests like it was all so quick and they were like yep we're ready to take you up now and I'm there like a leaf like I could not stop shaking and they said oh, are you all right to walk upstairs and I thought yep absolutely fine you know I want to do this so walked up the stairs to um, the top level of the hospital and as soon as you come out the stairwell the theatre entrance is right there and she opened the door and I froze and I just looked at her and bawled my eyes out and she hugged me and said I was in here three months ago getting my um, thyroid taken out and they were amazing and they will do the same for you and I just thought you know what she's right these people do amazing things every single day like I need to put my trust in them and stop being scared even though it's you know that's easier said than done so you know she got me through the door and she got me into the um anesthetic room and they uh they sat me on a bed and they just started talking me through what they were going to do and it was honestly going in one ear and out the other because you know it was it was a lot um so I I just you know I blanked out I was just still shaking and he said right you know we're gonna do it now and I just thought thank god because you need to stop talking because I literally it got to the point where it was like they were talking gibberish to me yeah. so I just yeah. I yeah. I wasn't registering anything and they gave me this really strong pain relief beforehand like before the anesthetic and I fell off my head and it was it was actually really funny and I just looked at him like oh is that the anesthetic he was like no that's the gin here's the tonic gave me the anesthetic can't remember anything <laughs> yeah it can be like um just you're not like focusing on what they're saying and you're more worrying about like stressing about what's actually going to happen like like it's like even like as you said like um the prep drink like i can imagine like, i haven't had surgery or anything but i can imagine from having like um procedures like the drink you have to have beforehand like especially when getting diagnosed with Crohn's disease I, I kind of think that's a bit more worse than actually having it done <laughs> but um it's not very nice it's all no, I, yeah. I, I get it completely most of the preparation before anything is you know not pleasant and uh, I remember obviously after the surgery waking up in recovery and I was really off my head on pain relief and I woke up and I like I can't remember what I said to the nurse but I did say something I went back to sleep and then I woke up on a ward um then they you know they talked to me and said oh this is where you are you know we're gonna keep you topped up on pain relief blah 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 you know just giving me all the normal talk um I went back to sleep again until the next day. So we're now on the 6th of February, but um, I slept until it was probably the afternoon. So I could, I could smell food. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I woke up obviously in a lot of pain because although they'd kept me topped up, I was also on a PAC, one of the um, ones you press the button yourself. 
Um, so obviously because I hadn't been given that to myself regularly because I'd been sleeping, obviously, you know, I wasn't as dosed up as I could be. So I woke up in a lot of pain and the pain just kept getting worse. And I was, I started crying cause it was so bad, which obviously, you know, made me fidget a lot more, which obviously made the pain of my tummy a lot worse. And they ended up giving me sedation because I was in such a mess, <laughs> which looking back, <laughs> I find it, I find it quite funny because, mm. you know, it, it was horrible to be like that, but you know, if you don't yeah. laugh, you'll cry. Yeah. And I don't, you know, yeah. I don't want to think of it as a bad experience, you know, cause it's got me to where I am now. Yeah. Um, I ended up in for eight days in total, uh, because you know, I don't well, actually, I don't know if you know this, but when they handle your bowels, it can sometimes take a bit of time for them to start working again. Oh, okay. So, um, it obviously took me a while to go to the toilet because obviously that's that's one of the most important things you need to do before you leave and I didn't go for seven days which is why I was discharged on day eight um I did have a couple of episodes of vomiting as it turns out that was the oromorph um they switched me to oromorph after the PAC and um Obviously, I was taking it, I was eating, and then I was vomiting. I, uh, I remember I was, I was in bed. It was the morning, and the doctors were coming around to do their rounds. I hadn't long had some Oromorph, and I started to feel really sick. And um, I was told a trick to put a pillow in front of my tummy and hold it down. So when, obviously, I was, you know, moving sharply, it was a bit more gentle, so I did that while trying to hold the like sick bowl with the other hand. And of course, none of it went well. And I ended up vomiting all over myself. And then the doctors oh. just walked in and I was like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, 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 as you say, like you kind of do have to laugh about these things, even though at the time they might not be that funny. But like, 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 like for instance, um, when having my Hemera injection at the time, um, because um, it wouldn't go in, it was like it was stuck, um, like it, like the li- liquid weren't coming out. It's like jammed. So tried it about nine times, and um, on the ninth time, um, it, got, it lift, lifted it up. Like liquid goes everywhere, and I'm thinking, oh no, it's gone everywhere. What am I gonna do? And then um, <laughs> and then like 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 um, rang the nurse up, and uh, and she said um, like because you don't know how much has gone in and. Most of it went out, but even some went in. So she just said, "Leave it for another two weeks' time." But but at that time, I was like, "Oh no, what am I going to do? What am I going to do?" But now I just look about and just laugh at it because it's funny. <laughs> yeah, it, you've you've got to like. Oh, I've I've had my fair share of very yeah. funny hospital experiences. Some of them I really cannot share on here. But looking back, it's it's hilarious to think yeah. some of the things we've done as mortifying as they were at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 how 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 are you doing now, Jess? With your current? Uh, I'm as stable as I can be. I'm I'm getting symptoms like frequent toilet trips, a bit of pain, um, a bit of nausea, but n- no vomiting. Um, my weight is stable though, so uh, right now, obviously, there's there's no need to put me on anything harsh. They're just you know regular bloods, regular stool samples, keeping an eye on me, and we're just obviously going to take it step by step. But it's a, it's a lot easier now. Obviously, once you're diagnosed, they know, and you've got all the right help. So yeah. as soon as you know, as soon as I feel I'm getting bad or I start to lose weight, I can be straight on the phone like, yeah, it's time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And and how how is like with this um whole coronavirus like been for you? It's it's been really tough. I like I must admit I um I started shielding. Um, when did I start shielding? It was I think it was the twenty third of March. I um I had a small procedure on the seventeenth of March to have an abscess and my leg drained. And from there, they said, obviously, you know, giving you medication and stuff, you know, you will be on the high risk to, you know, you need mm. to shield. And I was like, oh, you know, like, 
don't tell me that please don't tell me that and then when it came to the 23rd I went for my infliximab infusion and they were like yep you've got a shield and I thought okay right so 12 weeks starts today um so I did that and that was that was really really tough I'm, I'm lucky to live in a house with a garden so you know mm. at least I could still get outside and stuff like that but mm. I, I must admit it drove me pretty crazy like I ended up gaining a bit of weight because I uh, I started baking a lot. <laughs> uh, to, uh, I had to keep busy somehow, you know, and I, I enjoy baking. So, but I ended up obviously gaining a bit of weight. So I went on a like crazy workout regime, changed my eating completely. And I ended up losing 5.6 kilograms, which, you know, wow. is really, really good. Cause yeah. you know, it was all intended. I worked really hard and then yeah. I I got the news uh, mid June. I think it was the fifteenth of June to say infliximab's not working for you. You've developed oh. antibodies um, to the point where they couldn't actually trace the infliximab in my blood anymore. because oh. it was it was being completely depleted by my body. Like the antibodies were just oh. killing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I had to end up stopping obviously doing all that because it was in my best interest because, you know, at this point, you know, it's important for me to maintain the weight, especially if I'm at a healthy weight. Um, so that threw me off a bit because by that point, you know, I still had to shield. So I was a bit lost, like I'd thrown myself into this and it had made me really happy and made things more bearable for me and obviously kept me on a high because it was, it, you know, it was a very hard time. Um, yeah. And then uh, my shielding letter had obviously ran out uh, on, it ran out towards the end of June. So I was like, right, you know, life's going to start going back to normal. I'm going to send my son back to nursery in July, which I ended up still doing anyway. I, I did obviously get a shielding extension, but by that point, obviously I wasn't on infliximab anymore. And they sort of said to me, you know, the, the ball's in your court. You're not as immunocompromised as you were. So it's it's sort of up to you. And I took that as, okay, I'm, you know, I feel for my, like, mentality, I need this stability. I need to get my kids into a normal routine where they're happy. I need to get back outside and do things I enjoy. So, you know, I took it a step at a time, like, you know, only going to the shops if I needed to, wearing a mask, you know, doing all the things you're meant to. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I must admit, like, my anxiety was through the roof when I first started going back out. Like, I, even though I wanted to go back out, I was so scared about catching the virus. Like, yeah. it's because, you know, we we don't know how it's going to affect us like you know we hear yeah, the yeah. stories but we don't actually know until we've had it ourselves yeah. um so you know overall it was it was really challenging it was really hard um but i've i've enjoyed getting back to normal well as as normal as yeah. you know we can yeah. be yeah. um but yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, we won't have to shield again. You know, if I get a second yeah. letter over, or a third letter even, over yeah. winter saying, you know, you need to shield again, of course yeah. I will, because that, yeah. you know, it will be flu season too. So, you know, yeah. it, it will be the safest course of action, but I'm really hoping that won't be the case. Yeah, definitely. And like, what the scary thing is, is that um, just like so someone else, um, might like like just someone else can get in a way you can I've always sort of relating it to Crohn's disease in a bit with this coronavirus that um you don't know what someone else is going through in a way but because um like so, so, so someone might not have might have a few symptoms and not know they have the virus and then pass it on to someone else maybe like me or you that could get a whole lot worse that's that well that's the thing isn't it because yeah like obviously some people can be asymptomatic and not have any symptoms some people don't get symptoms until day 13 after exposure like it's a really really hard illness to fight especially where there's such a lack of knowledge and I know they're learning new things about it every day but you know it's taking the whole world fighting it for them yeah. to learn this stuff yeah. so it's 
in a sense like you know i i've because obviously with the shielding and stuff i tried to be as optimistic as possible and you know i i thought to myself you know this this is part of history and you know we're gonna hopefully learn from it and you know i god forbid that we live through another pandemic but hopefully what we've learned from this one will you know will really benefit us in the future yeah yeah we just think why did it have to happen like in our lifetimes but it can't be helped but it's like um it's all uh it's all crazy with this whole virus yeah it's like i i got sent a um survey to do uh by my ibd team funnily enough about obviously this whole shielding thing like Mm. and how i'd been throughout it and they asked so many in-depth questions about mental health because obviously as much as they don't like they don't i guess announce it too much but obviously your mood your stress your anxiety can really have an effect on your Crohn's like i find that whenever i get anxious which i do get quite anxious a lot it gives me a tummy ache and that tends to trigger me yeah yeah it does like with like like again anxiety and, and like even stress can can get that pain and like uh it's not a nice symptom to have really because like everyone's gets stressed even without having Crohn's but it's uh can't be helped yes yeah, so, you know it, w- it would be amazing if everyone yeah. could live stress-free lives but yeah. it just doesn't work like that yeah, yeah. I, I, like you are I got the letter for like shielding for 12 weeks and like uh like, like the thing with me because I, I I don't mind my own company I, I'm quite happy just uh, like like you I've got I've, I've got a big garden that I can go in um a lot around like um I would normally pick um I would still go for walks um I still do now like um in like maybe the, the, like country parks or just, just around the block around maybe six o'clock seven o'clock when it's quite quite a damn but yeah like the thing for me was like like during the shielding period was not like seeing like friends family because like uh, like uh, socializing with people and 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 still now i've seen a couple maybe um a couple of my friends but it's always been i've always like um said uh wear a, a well-equipped mask like like me and keep that two meter distance so it, it's all safe but it's just uh, it's even it can be hard not even that close to contact as well well yeah that's that's the thing like in terms of uh the social distancing and stuff like that because i don't know if it's the case with you but obviously they're still saying to me what's the word stringent is that the word (laughs) social distancing (laughs) i think that's it you know be strict make sure you follow it and stuff like that but it's it's hard because obviously we're allowed our bubbles now so you know i've seen a couple of friends and a few family members um and you know i'm you know i'm sticking to my bubble i'm not meeting up with anyone other than that but it's really hard especially when you have young children because you know my youngest it you know it's had a lot lot of an effect on her because when we first went into lockdown she was still quite young so you know it really affected her relationship relationships with other people because this was the time she was meant to be bonding with these people and she lost it and uh, as for my oldest he turned three during the lockdown and over the course of obviously the shielding as well like I noticed a deterioration in his behavior like he was getting a lot more naughty and it's because he was so off routine like it 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 was hard to maintain a proper routine when you know you're just stuck inside yeah that's it like it's just like I I can imagine like especially like for for young people as well not knowing what's really going on in, in in the world like um like there's a not even knowing what a pandemic is, what a corona, what even what the coronavirus is, and how how much like um like like I can see like even like young people not knowing like a uh, you got to keep two meters uh, one two meters apart away away from your friend, you can't touch them, you can't shake hands, you can't do like high fives, can they can be really hard. Yeah, it's yeah. like, because uh, with my son returning back to nursery and stuff like that, obviously they have their bubbles as well. And um, obviously they, you know, they've accepted kids can't social distance, which is, you know, a really good thing because it's true. You know, they can't. 
yeah. but it's it's a really hard thing to maintain especially as the world is getting back to normal like you know I've done some trips into town because you know regardless of the situation you know I you know I still need to get things I still need to do things now and you know I've, I've found that you know people aren't following it as much you know which I don't, I don't want to judge but you know at the same time you, know, you just need to keep yourselves yeah. safe of because you know your priority should be yourself and your family so you know you should maintain it for yourselves not just you know it's it's good to think of other people but you know you've got to really put yourself and your family first in that situation yeah, yeah definitely and there's going to be like people out there who aren't as as risk they'll they, they'll take like more risks because say they got it they can maybe fire off they have a kind of more of an immune system than like like us so they then maybe not take it as seriously yeah well that's that's one of yeah. the biggest things isn't yeah. it like but this this illness seems to be pretty relentless like it's taken people who have no health problems of course you know the number of people with pre-existing medical issues you know it has taken more of them but this has taken anyone it wants like it's yeah. not it's definitely not something to you know laugh about it's you know it's really serious yeah. it's people only take it seriously once they get it but if they don't yeah. get a severe strain of it they just think oh you know it was fine it wasn't too yeah. bad like I don't understand why this is so bad but you know they're not seeing the hospitals they're not seeing the care homes and you know they're not seeing the people who are affected the most yeah yeah like like it's gonna be it's gonna be really hard for everyone here even from now like um it's not it's like um coronavirus is still here it's not gonna wave even though shielding stopped like um for, for people that they can go out more it's just it's, it's not gonna be the same but if you just think uh i always think about it it's, it's hopefully it won't it's not gonna be like forever there could be hopefully there is a vaccine at some point yeah well there there is one in the works at the moment i'm pretty yeah. sure they've uh passed a few phases of testing or something like that so hopefully it won't be too far away but then there's the whole drama of is it a live vaccine because obviously some people like us can't have them so that opens a whole new issue entirely yeah, yeah because um because there were trials going on i think um like uh, uh, there was some like letter that that came through like said um people go for trials and i was like saying to my mum okay can i have like a trial where, like uh, maybe be one of like the candidates to trial it and it said and i said um said on the letter people who are who've got like um who want these like the medication like me can't actually have the trials so it's just like um it's just a pain <laughs> yeah it is because you know it's it's people i don't want to say people like people aren't going to benefit but people like us will probably benefit from it more being immunocompromised this is why we yeah. have the flu vaccine every year that's why we're told we need to have it every year yeah that that, that, that flu vaccine is probably going to be a bit packed this year <laughs> oh don't i need to i need to get booked in as soon as yeah. possible obviously it's that time of year now yeah. so but to be honest as much as you know i'm entitled to it for free i would not mind paying for it if it means i could get yeah. it done like you know straight away definitely yeah yeah and actually like 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 um like um i'm due to actually go back to college um next week like um like i like actually like today i spoke to um like my, my teacher i'm gonna have and like, I, I i talked about some concerns that i have because it's gonna like even before um like college my college is quite big and um, before lockdown um like a week or two before even the college shut i decided i'm not gonna go in because uh, i think that the coronavirus is about it's just starting to mutate getting worse like around the area and and actually at that time um a teacher sneezed in the class and she didn't put her hands over her mouth or anything so i'm like i, I was like i'm going i'm going out of the class i'll just take myself out of the class and wait till the class is finished because it wasn't any finished and then she we had a little chat at the end and she asked me she said to me uh, have you got an appointment did you go out for an appointment i said i said no i left because of you you sneezed and she said i don't have coronavirus and i said um 
you might not you might do I don't know so yeah this is the thing it's even though typical coronavirus is coughing more than sneezing if you Mm. have it or asymptomatic it is more than likely going to come out of a sneeze too because obviously it's very similar droplets or it's probably the same obviously I'm not a scientist I don't I don't know that much but it's you know a form of transmission that's why they're saying you know cover your mouth when you sneeze cover your mouth when you cough because once you have it you know you can transmit it yeah and a lot of going from college um it's got lot for me it's gonna be like one day a week but um like like uh they said that um because the course um you can't keep two meters apart in, in, a, in a college and, and in a classroom that the classroom is quite small and what they would do if it um, no one would wear masks if it was two meters apart. So it's one meter apart. Everyone's got to wear masks, and it's going to be it's going to be like it's got, I will be probably anxious about going in because it's going to be very anxious, like saying like one person might sneeze, one person might cough, but you've got to kind of got to kind of go in and see how it is. No, that's that's the thing. You know, I understand the anxiety behind it completely because obviously, you know, I've been there when I started going out again. But at the same time, you know, life does have to start again somewhere. Yeah, that's that's why, obviously, you know, I've tried to go back to as much of a normal life as possible because, you know, like I said, if I need to shield again, I will. But for now, I don't have to. So as long as, you know, there's precautions in place, you know, life should, you know, start again. And, and, and like with my college, um, there's not going to be, everyone's not going to be in the, cl- in the, in the, in the college. Uh, like, uh, so it's only going to be one day a week. So that it would be, it would have been three days a week. Uh, that, that's what it was before, but because of the coronavirus situation, one day a week is enough, I think. Yeah, yeah. that's because obviously, you know, they've got to try and stagger it as much as possible and, you know, make it fair to everyone. It's, you know, it might make your workload at home a bit harder, but, you know, it'll be worth it in the long run to obviously, you know, yeah. keep keep yourself safe. Yeah, definitely. We've just got to, we've all got to kind of think about ourselves and our and our health. That's it. Yeah. Um, just like one last thing, Jess. Is there like um any advice you'd like to give to maybe other people with Crohn's and IBD? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, oh, I don't know. Like, I guess you know just stay strong and I know things can be really bad and really hard sometimes but you will get through it it's a one hell of a fight but you will get through it yeah yeah but that, 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 that's going to be the, the tough times and and, and and good times but it's going to be it's going to be um, a fun ride <laughs> say that roller coaster yeah yeah roller coaster so so thank you again jess and um stay safe that's okay thank Thank you you too thank you